Good evening. Those of you coming in, just come on in and have a seat. This is very casual. Kick your feet up, close your eyes, doze off, it's fine. I'm used to it. Hey, I figure if I put you to sleep, I'm not going to wake you up. Yeah, it's my responsibility. Let me say a prayer for us and we'll jump into our lesson. Lord, thank you for this evening. Thank you for bringing us together to study your word. I pray that you'd open our hearts and pour in your word and transform us to be the kingdom men and women that you have in mind for us. We thank you for your blessings, particularly the gift of forgiveness in Jesus Christ. In his name we pray. Amen. We have a session tonight and then one more next week in this series. And the one next week is, I'll tell you about it at the end, but it really caps the whole thing off. And then we'll be off for one week. We won't have any Wednesday programming at the church on October 14th. But I'll remind you of that next week as well. If you remember, we have been talking about living in the kingdom. We're in the parables of Jesus. And I like this because as you're seeing now, the stories that Jesus told give you the whole gamut of what he was really about. And what he was really about was establishing the kingdom of God, a different way of living, a different state of being. And so you've noticed how many of these parables are about kingdom living, living in a completely different way as a citizen of a completely different order. And that's what we've been talking about. In our last lesson, we talked about the beautiful little parables. They're, they're paired up. I mean, there are three of them together. The lost coin, the lost sheep, and the lost son, the lost child, also known as the prodigal son. And we talked about the idea, this idea of forgiveness. We've talked about it a lot because Jesus talked about it a lot. And really, this will make a huge difference in our lives. But we've talked about being aware of our forgiven status in the kingdom. And that that awareness, that deep awareness, not just mental, but a heart awareness of how forgiven we are, powers the kingdom life in a lot of ways. In this lesson tonight, we're going to talk about how you tap into that power. But the power, for example, our experience of forgiveness allows us to treat people as lost. If you think about the kingdom description that Jesus gives, forgive your enemies, turn the other cheek, pray for those who persecute you, look at people, choose to look at people as lost who need to be pursued and found rather than evil who need to be shunned and withdrawn from. That's a choice. It's a kingdom way of thinking. The forgiveness, the compassion, all those things are not natural. They're things that the kingdom calls us to do that we can't do of our, on our own power. I also want you to think about, particularly in our times right now and for our city, these are some difficult days for us and some difficult economic times. And it brings home the realization that Satan can take your health, your wealth, your job, your self-image, even your self-respect away. That's what sin can do to us. That's what the power of this world can do. But absolutely nothing can take away the peace that we have of being forgiven by God. And that's kind of the basis of the kingdom way of living, is that our peace and our joy, our happiness does not have to be circumstantial. That's radically different way of living in the kingdom, and forgiveness is what powers that. What I want to talk to you about in this next series of parables, and Jesus told a lot of parables about this, this next series of parables is the way we tap into that power. We want to talk to you about prayer. 
And this is one of those things that if you leave this lesson and you don't feel convicted that you need to pray a whole lot more and a whole lot differently, then it has not been a successful lesson. So, and that's a good thing. So don't, you're not going to walk out of here guilty. You're going to walk out of here going, oh my goodness, there's this incredible power that I can tap into. I need to get started with that. So that's what we're going to talk about is prayer. Here's an interesting question. We're going to actually answer a few questions, and, and any of yours, you know, text in your questions during class. Let me start with this. Is there power in prayer? Is there power in prayer? I was reading an opinion piece in the Wall Street Journal last week, and I came across a very fascinating article. It doesn't really matter what the article was about but it had to do with the opinion of some of the people in the article about this idea of prayer. These are not Christians in the article, and it was very interesting to see what their opinion was. Their answer to that question would be, yes, there is inherent power in prayer. Let me give you some quotes out of that article. The first was this, who cares if there was really any being to pray to? What mattered was the sense of giving thanks and praise, the feeling of a humble and grateful heart. So what he's saying is that prayer indeed has power in that it invokes in us this humble and grateful heart and can in some way affect change in us. One of the rabbis was quoted as saying this, God gave man free choice and free will so God can direct, guide, and help, but he cannot control everything. Prayer is not a magic bullet. Prayer has other purposes besides petition, asking. It is meant to help us become better people through our encounters with God. That point of view says prayer has some power to help us become better people as we, in some sense, encounter God. And then finally, the author of that article said this, different religions have different routes to the same destination being close to God. If you believe in God, prayer is how we talk with him. It links us with generations past, present, and with those to come. If you do not believe in God, prayer can hedge your bet. Yeah, that's not, that's not exactly a Christian view. Uh, prayer can crystallize your thoughts and hopes and your fears. So prayer allows you to crystallize your thoughts and hopes and fears and it is among your best hopes for becoming a better human being. This really struck me because if I'd asked you, is there power in prayer, you wouldn't necessarily think that people who were not Christian or, and were not necessarily even religious might answer that yes, but they do. And you sometimes hear these stories about uh, people who pray or when people are praying for someone who's sick, they're more likely to get well. And the answer is there's power in praying. Well, it turns out that's not actually a biblical idea. That's not actually the way Christians think about it. Now, you're going to say, well, you're, you're changing the words a little. I am, but in a fundamental way, and that's why I showed you this first. Their answer would be, yes, there's inherent power in prayer. Well, along the same day, I saw a, a, a social media post and that's a miracle in and of itself, because I'm not on social media all that often, and I don't really go searching through it, so I consider it a God thing. Anyway, so there's a 140-character post that really does, and I'm going to show it to you because this actually captures a biblical idea of prayer. We do not believe 
in the power of prayer. We believe in the power of God, and that's why we pray. That's more than semantics, because we would actually disagree with those comments about prayer. The act of praying in and of itself, from a Christian point of view, is not a powerful thing. We think the power is on the other end of that prayer. It's all about God, and that is why we pray. That actually completely changes the answer to a couple of other questions, which I'd like to get to, and that is, can prayer change circumstances? Can prayer really change the outcomes or our situation? And then secondly, if God already knows what's going to happen, or if God has already decided what's going to happen, then is there any reason to pray at all? Well, our answer to those questions are going to be really different because we actually don't think that prayer itself has power. We think that God has power. That's what Jesus thought too. And I want to take you to Luke chapter 11, and we're going to talk about a parable there. He's actually a little string of teaching in Luke chapter 11. There's a parable right in the middle. And then I want to bring in two other stories that illustrate this point. But this is kind of counterintuitive thinking. But let me start with the way Luke 11 starts. It starts with a prayer. This is another version of the Lord's Prayer, but the circumstance is what's interesting to me. So the disciples are with Jesus, and when Jesus finished praying, one of his disciples said, you need to teach us to pray. They're asking that because Jesus is praying all the time. When you read the Gospels, I know you don't read it for this, but you'll notice Jesus prays at every significant thing that happens in his life. And in fact, Jesus is frequently off to pray, sometimes through the whole night, praying to God. And you have to ask yourself, why? And I think that that's exactly what the disciples did. And they said, teach us to pray. I think prayer is probably our most untapped resource as Christians. If Jesus prayed that much, and the disciples saw that and said, you need to teach us to pray, teach us about prayer, I think it's one of our untapped resources. It's a conduit for power and that we're just missing out on if we aren't participating in prayer. So Jesus teaches them to pray. He says, here's an example of how you pray. And there are great lessons in that. But I'd actually like to move on to what he does next. He goes right from that prayer into this story. As he finishes the prayer, he says this. Then he said to them, let me tell you a story. Suppose one of you has a friend... And he goes to him at midnight and says, friend, I need some bread. A friend of mine on a journey has come to me, and I don't have anything to set before him. This is very embarrassing. I don't have any food. I've got three teenagers. You know how they are. Go to the cupboard. Absolutely no bread left. So then the guy inside, now then they're hearing this, they're all sympathizing with it. The whole Eastern idea of hospitality, not just Jewish. They're required as Jews in the law to be hospitable to strangers. But even the whole Eastern idea of hospitality would demand that you feed them and put them up for the night. So it's an embarrassing situation. You don't have anything to feed them. Then the one inside answers, hey, don't bother me. I've already locked the door. The dog's already inside. My kids are in here with me. And I'll tell you what, I'm not going to get up and wake everybody up. And all the audience is kind of shocked. Because actually, this is a really rude response. It's kind of like, that is not how people would react in that situation. And Jesus says, I tell you what, though. Even if he wouldn't get up and give him the bread because he's his friend, because of the man's boldness, he'll get up and give him anything that he needs. 
In other words, the persistence, if, if friendship won't do it, persistence would do it. Well, that's an interesting way to look at prayer, especially when you realize that he's talking about us and God. It's an, if you think about this for a minute and you think of God, us going to ask God and God saying to us, I'm already in bed, don't bother me, right? That's, it's really an unusual situation. You're like, what are you actually trying to teach us in this parable? But this isn't the only time Jesus teaches this. Look at this. I'm going to show you another parable he tells. Same way. This is also in Luke, but in chapter 18. So then he told them this story to show them that they should always pray and they shouldn't give up. He said, of a certain town there was a judge who neither feared God nor cared about men. And there was a widow in that town who kept coming to him with a plea. Give me justice against my adversary. In other words, I've been wronged. Uh, you know, I've been, my house has been foreclosed on, I've been cheated, and I need, I need the justice system to make this right. For some time, he refused. Like, look, you don't vote, you didn't contribute to the campaign, you're, you're kind of a nuisance, I don't think so. For some time, he refused, but finally he said, even though I don't fear God or care about men, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will see that she gets justice so that she won't eventually wear me out with her continual asking. By the way, this is a tactic that every two-year-old knows and uses, all right? It's like, I know my cause isn't just, but I believe I can wear them down. And that's kind of what Jesus is saying. He said, this isn't even a just judge. He's not even a good guy. He's not just. And yet, because of her persistence, and so the Lord said, listen to what the unjust judge had said. And the people are going, I can see that happening. He said, I can, I can see that. Will not God bring about justice for his chosen ones who cry out day and night? Will he keep putting them off? I tell you, he will see that they get justice and quickly. However, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith? Well, this is another weird parable because who's, who's God in this story? The judge. He's basically saying, look, even it, he's kind of arguing from a bad example, which Luke does a lot. He said, here's a bad example. And if this could happen even in a bad example, how much more would God do this since he's better than the unjust judge? How much more will God answer you since he's better than the friend who's too lazy to get out of bed and open his door for you? And so he's, Jesus is teaching in these parables some positive qualities about God by looking at some negative qualities about man. This is really a caricature of God and a way of teaching by giving you a shocking view of God. He's the lazy friend who won't get out of bed. He's the unjust judge. You go, wait, that's not right. And Jesus goes, exactly. And he goes, that's my point. If even those people will do it, surely God will. So there's some teaching here about persistence, but there's also some teaching here about a contrast about how good God is. Well, my third picture that I want to give you in this little story is an actual event. It's not a parable. You'll probably remember this event from Matthew 15. Jesus has gone into Lebanon. Basically, he's gone up north, and he's into the area today that would be Lebanon. So that area is not Jewish. But these people have heard about him, and particularly this one Canaanite woman. They make a point of saying she's Canaanite, meaning she's not Jewish. But she knows who he is. And so as he's traveling, this Canaanite woman comes to him and she's crying out, Lord, son of David, which is interesting, meaning you, they say you're this Messiah guy and you have these powers. I don't know about that, but 
I'm willing to acknowledge that. Lord, son of David, have mercy on me. My daughter is suffering terribly from demon possession. Jesus doesn't answer. Now, he's going to start to act a little bit like this parable. Jesus doesn't answer a word. But she kept following him around, asking. So the disciples came to him, compassionate guys that they are, and they urged him, why don't you send her away? Because she's really wearing us out. You know, here's the parable in action, right? Jesus answered, I was sent only to the lost sheep of Israel. In other words, I'm not sending her away, but I'm not giving her what she wants. And so she keeps following, keeps following, until finally she falls down in front of him on her knees, so he's kind of got to acknowledge her. And she says before him, Lord, help me. And he said, it's not right to take the children's bread and toss it to the dogs. This is kind of rude, isn't it? He said, look, you're not a Jew. I came for the Jews. I can't really take the food of the Jews and toss it to the dogs. Well, this woman doesn't get offended. She says this, yes, Lord, but even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from their master's table. And Jesus says, you have great faith. Your request is granted. And her daughter was healed from that very hour. So I want you to think about this in, in combination with what's happened in these parables. What is the thing that links all three of these stories together? On the one hand, you get the idea of a, what we consider poor behavior, and yet you get persistence. And Jesus making the point, if you can get what you want out of evil people by being persistent, how much more so will God not fulfill your requests? There's an interesting link in this with persistence and faith. This should scare us a little bit, by the way. I want to ask you this question, but you don't have to answer. I'll just answer for myself. What have you prayed day in and day out for a year for? Maybe not much, right? You know what I fall into sometimes? I fall into what I call news cycle prayers. You notice how nothing stays in our news cycle more than a few days? And then all of a sudden Donald Trump says something outrageous and we forgot that and we're off to something else, you know, or there's a crisis somewhere and we're all interested in that crisis for a few days until something newsworthy happens and we move on to that. I don't know about you, but that's, it, we're tempted sometimes that, that our prayer life looks like that. Oh, so-and-so is sick, I should pray for them. I'll pray for them, maybe a day, maybe two, maybe three, whatever. But then something else comes along and we do that. I'm not trying to criticize this. I'm just saying it's really interesting because in these every one of these stories, the persistence is equated with faith. It's not so much the idea of persistence, you're going to wear God out and he's going to reluctantly give you what you want. What he answers this woman is really interesting. She keeps bugging him, and what does he say? He says, you have great faith. In other words, you have trust that if only you could get my attention. If only, you know, I would hear what you said. You have complete trust that I am able to do this. And so the persistence and the faith are tied together in these parables. So what we look at as kind of a negative thing, like what are you teaching me? Bug God until he does it. You know, he gives you what you want just because he wants you to shut up. Well, that's not the point of the parables. The parable is God hears our persistence as faith. Not our wing it prayers. You know, one day, hey, I'd really like for you to have world peace. And the next day, I've decided today it's all about world hunger. Can you handle that by tomorrow? And this, I don't think God sees that as faith on our part. 
he seems to understand this continuity and this perspective as actual faith on our part. So these stories, Jesus basically tells them how to pray, then he tells this parable, and he basically says, I'm going to show you a bad example to make a good point. And the bad example is that persistence is really important, that you should pray and never give up, that you should have the faith to know that if you can get your request before God, he is able to do it. Now stop and think about it. That's really the opposite of having the power in prayer. Because nowhere in any of these does it basically say the fact that you are praying has power. It's not until the one you're praying to responds that there's anything happening. And that's the idea for Christians is how then do we tap this, this God? And that's what Jesus wants to go on and talk about next. So back in Luke, teaches them how to pray, tells them that persistence in prayer is faith. And then he goes on to this famous passage in Luke, and he says he begins to explain it. And he's going to teach a little bit. He says, this is how you should pray. You should be very persistent in prayer. Because if humans respond to persistence, how much more will God? And then he explains, and he says this, this famous passage. So I say to you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you'll find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives. He who seeks finds, and to him who knocks, the door will be open. He says, which one of you fathers, if your son asks for a fish, you give him a snake? Or if you ask for an egg, you'll give him a scorpion? If you, even though you're evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? There's a huge principle that Jesus is teaching in this. He's, again, teaching from bad example to good. If you, as imperfect a parents as we are, want to do good things for your children, how much more so will God? You notice the theme in all these parables, the reasoning from the lesser to the greater. A lesser example saying, how much more then will God do this? Here's the really powerful idea in this. And that's the idea of God being favorably disposed toward you. This is a really powerful kingdom idea that actually makes prayer, this whole idea of prayer, work. This is what makes Christians radically different from any other religion in terms of how they think prayer works. We don't think prayer works because we're good. We don't think prayer works because we say it a bunch of times or because we're really eloquent. We actually think prayer works because God is kindly disposed toward us. I mean, think about what he's saying. He said, look, you are kindly disposed toward your children. You want to do good things for them. How much more so then does God want to do good things for you? So God being well disposed toward us is really the essence of the power of prayer. It's not in us, and it's not in our prayers or the eloquence of the prayers. And I'd like for you to think about it. I'm going to give you a religious word, and I'd like for you to think about it this way. Do you know what this is, this God being well-disposed toward you through no value of your own? That's called grace. Actually, that's the definition of grace. When you think about God has shown you grace, I'd like you to think about this passage. What does that actually mean? What it means is, through no merit of my own, God likes me, to put it in human terms. Have you ever had one of those people that you just like them? You don't know why you like them, but you just like them. They're just really friendly. 
and you're just really well disposed. Kind of like me and my dog, for example. <laughs> Through no merit of her own. And I know I said I wasn't going to talk about Daisy, but it's just, it's just too good an example of God's love played out in human life. But basically, there are, there are those people that you're just well disposed toward. In other words, through no merit of their own, you do kindness. I feed my dog. And I consider that a great gift. I mean, it's just grace pouring out, right? But that's how God looks at us. It's as though you come in and you go, I bet that guy won't even talk to me. And all of a sudden, he comes across the room and shakes your hand and says, come on in here. You know, think about the prodigal son. You know, somebody who doesn't deserve it. And yet, here's the father who said, are you kidding? I'm just crazy about you. And you go, really? Why? You know, that's the prodigal son story. That's our story. That's grace. That's one of the key ideas in this. Jesus is saying, I'm going to tell you why you pray. I'm going to tell you why prayer is powerful. It's because God is well disposed toward you. He has favor toward you. In other words, grace. Key idea in the scriptures. Let me pause there for a second, because in just a second, I want to turn the corner and ask a so what question, because there's some really great lessons there. Questions? So how does this square with Paul, who prayed three times for his thorn in the flesh, and then he stopped? Yeah, Paul prays three times, and God answered him. If you remember uh, in uh, Corinthians chapter 12, he, Second uh, Corinthians 12, he basically says, I had this thorn in the flesh, God needed to take care of it, I prayed three times, and God answered me, and he said, no. And so I, I do square that with he prayed and God answered and Paul was able to say, then that's good enough for me. I mean, if you remember, it's a beautiful story. He says, uh, God says, no, I'm not going to take that away because actually my power is obvious in your weakness. And Paul, being faithful, says, oh, well, now that you explain that, I'll boast about all my weaknesses. In other words, when I am weak, then you are glorified. When you do great things through weak people, this is good news for me, I don't know about you. When you do great things through weak people, that's how you're glorified. And so that was, that was God's answer, and Paul was like, I'm fine with that. A no is okay. So Paul uh, prayed, and he got an answer from God. And he was faithful to say, then I'm okay with that. Why? And see, this is the interesting question. Why is he okay with that? He's okay with that because he understands the idea of grace. Uh, you're not okay. For example, okay, I'm going to pick on the DMV again. I hope nobody in here works there. But if you go down to the Department of Motor Vehicles and you make an appeal, I remember doing this one time. It was a rule that I felt like should be waived, let's just say, in, in, in this situation. And they said no. And so I walked out smiling going, from now on I will boast in the decisions that the DMV made. No, I didn't go out that way. Why? because I really didn't have the feeling that they were well disposed toward me. Actually, I'm just another cog in a wheel. I'm just another nuisance citizen who came in wanting something changed. And I have no hard feelings about it, but you get my point. It's a big difference when you get an answer from someone that you know loves you, cares about you. That's why Paul's able to say that I'm okay with that because I know that you want good for me. And that's the only reason that you can pray and get a no and be, I'm happy with that because I know that you love me. That's great. You answered the next question, too. How would, you, how would you answer someone who tells you that they've been faithful and persistent in prayer 
and God did not answer yes, but said no. Yeah, and that's, stop and think about that for a second. Uh, the great analogy, it's not a perfect analogy, but I think that's why God gives us children, is uh, I can't think of any other reason other than to teach us lessons, you know, biblical lessons. I'm kidding. No, really I'm not. I think really the main purpose of kids is to teach us biblical lessons. But there's, there's a great example. You know, even though your children don't, that saying no to them is really being very loving to them at times, or not yet to them, or yes, but a different way. I mean, I realize that we're imperfect, and sometimes we do it just because we're in a bad mood. We're not perfect parents. But in general, I mean, if you want to generalize this to God, you say, I know more than you know, I see more than you see, and you need to trust me that I'm going to do what's good for you, and what's good for you right now is no. Paul understood that. In other words, you have grace toward your children. You are, most days, you are favorably disposed toward your children through no great merit of their own. You are exhibiting grace toward your children, and that's what makes that no okay. That's a great question, though, because we don't understand that sometimes. How could you not want to heal me, God? How could you not want to take this bad thing away? And God would say, I understand that you cannot see that. So this, I, that's why I say this is such a foundational idea, is if you don't think the God of the universe cares about you, that changes everything in the kingdom. Without grace, this whole, whole relationship with God is radically different. Question? There's a current movement, seemingly from Eastern thought, that encourages the follower to concentrate or meditate on what he or she desires to attract and bring that to reality. And the idea goes on to suggest that if the concentration is on negativity and chaos, you attract that as well. How do you differentiate that from Christian prayer? That's a good question. I'm gonna get on a soapbox for a second. I wanna talk about a whole broad range of things that are not Christian ideas. That's a great one. There are all kinds of ideas about prayer or meditation that are not Christian ideas at all. This is one of them. This is an idea, and then I'm gonna give you a Christian one that's not Christian. This idea, this, I know that sounded funny, didn't it? But wait till you hear it. But this Eastern idea is fundamentally saying there is inherent power in the act of focusing your mind. Very common Eastern idea. It is again saying that there's inherent power in you and there's inherent power in the focusing value of prayer. That's not what the Bible teaches at all. The Bible teaches the power is on the other end of that prayer. The power is not in the focusing. That fits, though, even though we don't have a lot of Buddhists running around America. That's a popular idea, and it's a popular idea because we really have a psychosocial view. Our secular American view is that how I feel and behave fits a certain psychosocial paradigm. And what I mean by that is, and you're, you are so used to this, it's like a fish in water. But basically, most of the things that happen to you are because you think about it wrong, or you have a bad habit, or a dysfunction, or an addiction, or a codependency. All of those things are presupposing that what is wrong in your life is some psychosocial problem. So how might you want to fix that? I need to think about this differently. I just need to basically change my mental paradigm to act differently. I need to see a counselor who can fix the way I deal with situations. Is there some value in that? Absolutely. 
but that's also not a Christian idea. You won't go to our counselors and they say, sure, my psychological theory will just fix you right up. It's a tool, but the power is on the other end of that, is with God. All those ideas that basically the, the focusing or the thinking differently will solve all my problems are not a Christian idea. Now, here's the Christian version of that. The Christian version of that is, if you pray hard enough, God will give you anything you want. Kind of the name it, claim it theology. And that is, if you have enough faith, if you trust God, if you're persistent and you ask, he will give you anything you want. So if you're sick, it's because you haven't prayed enough. If you're poor, it's because you haven't prayed enough. If you aren't getting the blessings in your life, if you don't have your best life right now, it's because you are not praying enough. That's actually a quasi-Christian idea that taps into that same thing, that somehow your faith, your merit, and this prayer has power and it actually has a claim on God. That's also a bit of an aberration. What you see Jesus teaching in here is that nobody in any of these stories, nobody, nothing happens in any of these stories until the God figure says it's going to happen. Does that make sense? That's a, a really right way to think about prayer is all the power is with God, not in the mechanism and not with me. And I realize you might say at first, I don't actually like that. I'd rather have more control over God. Of course you would. We're a bunch of little sinners. We just want to control everything. But that's actually a good thing because we don't actually know what we need as well as God does. In other words, you fundamentally in prayer get in a position of, am I going to make God my genie in a bottle who is going to do what I want and I will then be happy or am I going to surrender and say, not my will, but yours be done? That's the fundamental decision that Christians make. The I want to control God and I want to control my circumstances goes down the path of other ways of thinking and focusing and trying to control your circumstances. Good luck. The fundamental Christian idea is surrender, is not my will, but thine be done. That's the power in prayer. So good, good points. Well, let's talk about that. What's the so what out of this? How are we then going to turn this into what I've told you that I think that it is, is that prayer is this untapped resource. It's this really conduit, if you will. Uh, first is I want to look at a couple of themes. If you think about a couple of interesting themes that run through these stories, you saw the idea of grace, but you're going to see God's disposition toward us. In other words, the fact that he loves us, he wants to give us good gifts, if even we being poor parents, want to do well for our kids, how much more does the perfect parent want to give good gifts to us? That idea of grace builds trust. In other words, God is trustworthy because of his grace, his attitude toward us. That comes through in all of these parables. And the second thing that comes through is this idea of persistence, even a boldness. In other words, God perceives that as faith. He says, you believe that I am well disposed toward you. You believe that the power is in me and not in you. So come and ask. So you get this idea of prayer for us is a bold, trusting endeavor. Prayer is a bold, trusting endeavor. You should pray boldly. Not because you think you're powerful or that my prayers are powerful. You should pray boldly because God, he recognizes that's faith. That means I believe that you can do these things. Will you? That's up to you.
but I believe that you can. And then the idea of the trusting is, and I believe whatever you do is good for me. I believe that you care about me. That attitude, if you, we go into prayer with that attitude, huge things can be done. That's why Jesus said, if you have even a little bit of faith, you can move mountains. And what did he mean by that is? Is it my faith? No. If it's a name it, claim it. I need lots of faith, and then I can move mountains. You said, no, actually, you just get a little bit of faith. You just absolutely trust God, and the power on the other end will do huge things. So when you pray, pray boldly, because the power doesn't have to be in you and me. The power is on the other end. Second idea is this. Prayer is the pipeline to God's power for kingdom living. We talked about this kingdom living, and we talked about the idea of recognizing that God is favorably disposed toward us, really feeling the forgiveness of God. This is key to this. Otherwise, prayer is going to be an intellectual endeavor, and you're going to have a very unsatisfactory prayer life because it's purely in my head. It's the feeling how well disposed God is toward me. In other words, the grace that I'm feeling, which manifests itself in the forgiveness, in the reconciliation. Uh, Romans 5.1, therefore, we, since we've been justified by grace, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. In other words, we now have peace. We have this state because of what God has done. That realization of that now puts us in a position to tap into huge power from God that you'll never get just intellectually. Prayer is the pipeline to God's power for kingdom living because if we just keep trying to forgive people, be compassionate, turn the other cheek, that's a very unsatisfactory Christian life. We need power from God to do that. And prayer is the conduit for, for getting that. And I want to show you a great example of this. We've talked about this before in other studies, but here's a perfect place in the scripture where you see this idea of prayer as this conduit, this pipeline. It says, do not worry about anything. That's a powerful statement. Do not worry about anything. But in every circumstance, by prayer and petition, by this conduit, this pipeline of prayer, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And then what happens? God does whatever you ask. No. It says, the peace of God, which is beyond your ability to understand. Why is it beyond our ability? Because it transcends our circumstances. This is what's unique about Christian prayer. We'll guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. So what's he saying? He says, you have worries and anxieties. God has peace. And through prayer, God is willing to trade you. That's a good deal trading our anxiety for peace through this vehicle of prayer. Prayer is an incredibly powerful idea. Jesus had a lot of things to say about prayer, and this is why. It's not just prayer because it'll make you feel better. It's not just prayer because you just need to get it off your chest. I mean, confession is good, relational discussions and prayer with God are good, but the real idea is prayer is the vehicle through which God pours out his power. For kingdom living. Now you understand why I'm saying prayer is probably the most untapped resource we have. Our unwillingness to pray or our lack of recognition of what, of what prayer really is robs us of all kinds of power that we can have to live our Christian life. In fact, power that is essential to live the Christian life.
So if you were to say to me, we've been talking about this idea of recognizing God's grace. That's kind of the premise. You have to realize that God is trustworthy because of what he has done, because of how well disposed he is to me. You have to forgive yourself and say, it isn't about my merit. I don't have to clean up before I go see God. I don't have to wash the pig smell off of the prodigal son before I go home because it really isn't my merit that does this at all. God is trustworthy and gracious. Now, how am I going to relate to him? This is the second part. This is how you tap into it. As he said, I want you to talk to me. I want you to ask. Ask, seek, knock. All those words are like, come pursue God. Bring your anxiety to God. And he'll take your anxiety and he'll give you peace. And we'll trust that he will work in all things for good. I mean, think about all the verses that you know that really want to talk about this idea of God's being trustworthy and us taking our situation to him and him exchanging this peace for it, this confidence. Does that make sense? Okay. Because that's, that's something that I just, I'm just going to be honest with you and say, until we get that idea of prayer and we begin to pray to tap into God's power, you are not going to have a very satisfactory Christian life. We are going to have what I call the roller coaster Christian life. I'm going to try a little harder and things get better. My circumstances are good, so things are going well. God and I feel good. God doesn't seem to be hearing my prayers because my circumstances haven't changed, so I feel distant from God. All of those things are, are experiences that we go through, and all of those things are a sign that we are really not tapping into the power of God. It's like this idea of being anxious. When we are anxious and we are worried, that is a sign to us that, you know what? I'm just not tapping into the peace that God wants to give me. Maybe it's because I've lost sight of the idea of how much he cares about me. Maybe it's because I've decided to put my trust in controlling my circumstances rather than tapping into God. What's happening there is a faith issue for us. Make sense? This idea of praying, not because you think, I'll pray and he'll change it. Not because I need to pray because he told me to. Not because I need to pray so God and I can commune and I can become a better person. Prayer is the vehicle God has ordained to tap into that power. And here's your paradigm for that. This is something I would just suggest to you as you begin to pray, because I don't think we pray well. I don't know about you, but you know, when you're busy, you, you kind of pray to God like he was your personal assistant. Now, I don't know if you've ever done this, but I have, and I'll just tell you, I don't think he wants that job. But basically, I go to God and I'll say, hey, I'm running a little short on time, and so I'm glad that you're here when I needed you. And uh, I just like to cut to the chase and tell you what I need done today, right? Oh, I might pretty it up and say, Lord, would you please do this? Would you please do that? But bottom line is, is, is I have a wish list and I need to get that to you. And so we rattle off what we want and then thank you very much. Love you, Lord. See you later when it's convenient for me. Boom, off I go, right? What about that experience you know, sounds anything like what Jesus is describing in Luke 11. Not much about that experience sounds like that. So I'm going to suggest to you that we start putting that whole supplication. Supplication is the religious word for asking for the stuff that you want. And so we put that supplication at the end. If you look at the Lord's Prayer, it kind of follows this model. It starts with adoration. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Holy. You are so holy. I just need to contemplate that for a moment. In other words, think about opening up that conduit 
and contemplating holiness of God. Second, confession. First John says, we confess our sins, he's faithful and he's just. He'll forgive us our sins. We, we come into this clean and perfect state before God because we simply confessed you know, our sins and our willingness to turn loose of those sins. Think about it. How, how much time have you and I spent lately in confession? I would argue this is a great thing to do at the end of every day because it does a lot of things, but one thing it does is it cleans the slate. It actually cleans your and my slate because I think we tend to be harder on ourselves than this loving God wants to be. So we begin by opening it up and recognizing, I am so fortunate to have the holy God of the universe who's willing to listen to me, and not only listen to me, who is ready to pour this power and this peace into my life. And Lord, let's just think about this day, and I just want to confess to you all the ways that I didn't live the kingdom life today. I know you're thinking, oh, that'll make me feel bad. No, that is going to make you feel hugely free. It's confession. Then spend some time in thanksgiving. Thank you, Lord. Count your blessings. I mean, really, the best way to begin really feeling upbeat and going, hey, you know, this is great. This God is awesome is count our blessings, thanksgiving. And then if you still feel like it, ask him for what you want. If, you don't make your, if we will discipline ourselves to simply go through this, this isn't magic. You don't have to do it. It's not commanded in the Bible. But this is a great way to slow us down a little bit and recognize who God is. Because, again, the power's not in the asking. The power is, the one, is in the one whom we are asking about it. This acts, A-C-T-S, adoration, confession, thanksgiving, supplication. That begins to calm us down. You pray like that, you will have peace at the end of that prayer. You pray like I'm tempted sometimes as wing off, I need this, I need this, I need this. How do I feel when I get through? Just as anxious and worried as when I started. Why? Because I have no sense of the holiness of God, no sense of God's forgiveness in this confession, no sense whatsoever of how, how well he has taken care of me and how trustworthy he is in the future. With that idea, now all of a sudden prayer becomes really, really powerful. Now, you're sitting there thinking, okay, I got that in my head. The key is to transfer that into our hearts. You actually have to do this for it to work, okay? And that's your challenge for this week. Your challenge for this week is to don't worry about the theology of prayer. Don't worry about, you know, any of the details. Is every day, every day make time. Now, I know your schedules are busy, but I'll just tell you, this usually takes me less than three minutes. So if you could spare God, the creator of the universe, three minutes a day. I know I'm asking a lot, but if you could spare a few minutes a day. I know it sounds bad when you say it that way. Think how it sounds to him, right? Take a few moments, and I'm not going to give you the humanistic, do this and you'll feel better. That's not the point. Do this, and it really begins to allow God's power to transform us. That's what's really important, is trust in the power of God, and this is how you express that trust, is by praying to God. I would suggest you do it in this way, and I think you'll find out that all of a sudden, you like praying. You want to pray more. You want to be like Jesus, and it seemed like he was praying all the time. Why was he praying all the time? Was he just worried a lot? No, because this is incredibly powerful. When you're stressed, when you're anxious, just pause and take a couple minutes. Your day will be fine, unless you're driving. You know, basically, stop and do this. Pray. Say, look, you told me 
that if I will let go of these things and present them to you, you'll trade peace for my anxiety. Try it. God really will do that. He really will remove our anxiety. So your assignment this week is, now that you kind of have this sense that God is trustworthy, is to power your kingdom living, to get rid of our anxiety, to power our ability to deal with those pesky people, uh, misbehaving dogs, should that be a problem for you, uh, kids, husbands, wives, all the stressors in our lives. In other words, all the challenges to kingdom living tap into God's power. So, ACTS, A-C-T-S, adore God, confess. You can go home tonight and just think about your day. This is a great thing to take stock of. Think about your day and think about where are all the things that really did not reflect kingdom living, and I'm going to offer that up to you and say, begin to change me and watch what God will do with it. Give thanks to God for who he is and what he's done, and then pray, and pray for other people. Pray for other things, because he's going to take care of you. Does that make sense? Okay, that's your assignment. Full money-back guarantee. You come back next week and you tell me, Sir, I'm serious about this. The scripture is true. I want you to take God up on his promise that if you'll take your anxiety through prayer, he'll replace it with peace. You're going to float in here next week. You're going to be so happy. All right? That's what we're going to do. And then I need to talk to you about hell next week. So I needed to get you ready. I'll see you later. <laughs>